Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Well, hi everybody. Uh, Bill Maurice here with our, our weekly podcast. This week, Dr. Pritt has the uh, well-earned time away from work. So I'm kind of handling this solo, but not truly solo because I'm joined today by one of the newer additions to the Mayo Clinic staff in the Department of Lab Medicine and Pathology. He was doing some really exciting stuff in our field but in a new way with new perspectives. And that's Dr. Dave McClintock. Dave, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. So maybe just a little bit about your background. You know, your interest is really is in where we're headed with computational pathology and clinical informatics. And just maybe just a little bit about your background and how you got interested in this field and what you've been doing in it. Sure. So I kind of have a roundabout background. I, I got interested in, in informatics when I was a resident and I was the only person in my residency program who had an interest in computers at the time, right? So when I first started this back in 2005, 2006, it became, you were the computer guy in, in, in residency. And what I discovered as I went forward is that informatics is so much more than just knowing about computers. It was all about how we deal with information, how we deal with laboratory data, and how we look at those workflows that, that surround laboratory data. And that was really the exciting part of me. I ended up approaching all of my different lab rotations with residency as with, a, with, with an eye of how do I look at making the workflows better? How do I look at making this lab information better? And in fact, I kind of look at what I call pathology informatics or clinical informatics as really being how do we deliver the right information to the right person, right place, right time, and in the right way. And we try to tackle every one of those problems that we have in informatics that way, because that's really the, the main thematic elements to any kind of informatics issue that we have, really, is that what is that right information? Who's the right person we're trying to deliver it to? What is the right way that we want to get it to them? What's the right place? What's the right time to do so? And all that comes into play whenever we um, deal with an informatics issue. Got it. So that's during your pathology residency, right? As you were training to yes. be a pathologist. So you were kind of big data before big data was cool and thinking about that. And so... Did you have a hard time getting people understanding what you were interested in? You know, I think back to 2005, people look at you like, what's this guy talking? Isn't he a pathologist? Why is he talking about computers? Did you get some of that? Yeah, there was, there was a lot of that. I mean, at the time, we had a lot of paper-based workflows. I had a lot of pathologists early on. We started looking at digital pathology and whole slide imaging, where they're looking at the, the, the slide scanner going, I'm never going to use a slide scanner. Why would I ever do this? Glass is perfect, glass is king, that kind of stuff. And, and it took some time over the years to get people to understand what the benefits would be. And that's really where the excitement is right now is this idea of how do we take the data coming off of our digital slides and how do we repurpose that data to do so many more things than that the glass slides can't do. Yeah. It's looking at that pixel data information from these slides and going, hey, what is this going to show us that we never had any idea about before? before. And that's the exciting part of what we're looking at with applying computational pathology in AI to anatomic pathology. God, but you think beyond, because we really talk a lot about digital pathology. We had Dr. Hip who's also joined Mayo okay. and you're on his team. But to me, it's a lot bigger than that too. Yes, it's great to have the Goins era of digitization of the slides, but there's all sorts of other data that's been data for years that we can tap into. So in some ways, it allows a slide based workflows to catch up with all the other workflows in pathology, I think, right? 
Yeah, I mean, that's the real cool part is that we can now begin to, to take multiple sources of data and bring them together. So for example, we can take our clinical laboratory data, our um, radiology data, our molecular data, all the different sources of data that we have, all the data that's in the EHR, and begin to combine them with our anti-oncology data again now as well. And, and since it's all digital, in a sense, we can then go ahead and, and look at how we create these new algorithms that can then be tied to patient outcomes or even to things like operational metrics to go ahead and, and discover new ways of doing things. That's really the, the exciting part. There's so many different questions that we have and so many different ways of trying to find those answers now with these new sources of data that we're discovering. To my mind, as comes up just in any conversation around AI, there's going to be driverless cars. No one needs a license anymore. And in pathology, <laughs> it's like you'll walk into my office and you'll just see a whirring machine and I'm making espressos. That's how people view it. But as you talk, to my mind, it really is taking the work that we do, both as interpretive laboratory medicine professionals and pathologists, and having a system that actually works for us to make those yeah. observations. And then the other side, a big job of what a lab director does is thinking about how to make their labs more efficient. And this gives us whole new insights on that too. So it's not really replacing us. It's just giving us a lot better tools on kind of both sides of the equation to make the work we do much more efficient and much more actionable for our patients, right? Yeah, I mean, that's really the key. We're not trying to replace anybody. We're trying to find ways of doing more with less. So in, in this economy and the way this world's working now for us, we're finding that with staff shortages and everything else, we need to find ways to do more with less, be it a pathologist, a lab technician, lab technologist, no matter who you have, we have to try to do more with that. And so being able to properly leverage our data for any type of questions, such as how do we process more samples in the, in the clinical laboratory without having to have people review them, without having to have someone manually review a result before it comes out, being able to apply auto verification, something that's been done in the core labs for, for years. How do we apply it to more and more areas of the, of the clinical laboratories that typically have had to use manual eyes to check things out? Can we do that in, in ways now using AI that allows us to be much more efficient in what we do with a really high quality of service? So those are the ways that we want to try to do that where we're assisting the people who are doing the actual work, but we're not replacing them, right? And the same thing with pathologists in Anton Pathology. We're trying to develop algorithms in ways of helping them do their work more efficiently, eliminating the unnecessary steps that they're doing now with a lot of manual entry. Maybe we can try to start forwarding this information that we collate and aggregate together so that their reports are automatically pre-populated and that there are predictions as to what you're going to put in certain areas just to make your life easier, right? And yeah. so that you're doing more review instead of the manual labor of actually trying to aggregate all this stuff together. So all that kind of work is something that we can really focus on to make lives easier along with improving quality. Yeah, I mean, that's to me the exciting part of all this. It's funny because you started talking about being the pathology trainee that was interested in computers. We don't think about that as a people problem, but the reality is that what this can unlock for us, everyone in any job, and especially in the labs, know that there's stuff we do every day that's not value add to our work. Those are the things that kind of drag us down. And particularly now coming out of COVID where there's just a lot of burnout in the labs and burnout in healthcare in general. To me, these are going to be the tools that actually help make our work more rewarding. So it's all about the people as opposed to not about the people at all in some ways. Very yes, exciting yeah. stuff. So we've probably gone from where you were in 2005 to people kind of looked at you like you just dropped in from Planet X to now people are excited about it. But what do you see? Because you've lived in the practical of trying to get these things applied. I mean, what do you see as some of the main challenges that we will have to address to really get to where we want to go with all these tools and all this data and everything else? There are a few big challenges. I mean, one of the first is getting the data out of the systems that we have, right? So a lot of times you think, oh, our data is already digital. It's already in the LIS. And the fact is a lot of LISs don't have 
the most easy database schema that we can use to get data out of it. We don't have easy extraction methods. Most LISs are dated in terms of the, what they were built upon and few companies want to go back and just kind of totally disrupt their entire product and rebuild it from, from the ground up. That makes it much easier. So for them, it's one of those things where just trying to get the data out of the LIS or out of any of our middleware solutions that we use in conjunction with the LIS is difficult. Trying to figure out how to get the data out, put it into a useful data warehouse or data mart that allows us to really get that data and use it for simple things like analytics, reporting, and then later on for machine learning and AI is not the easiest thing to do. The second thing is we're looking at, like I said, there's so many opportunities. How do we prioritize what's the most important opportunities that we have? It's kind of like simple project prioritization. There's so many things that we can do. How do we develop criteria that tells us these are the most important things that we do? Do we base it off of patient care, clinical care? It seems like they'd be the most natural choice, but sometimes those are the hardest projects to do. And so maybe we should be focusing more on efficiency, operational tools that then get us to that point where we can do better clinical care. There's big questions as to what makes the most sense to do first. And so I think those two areas of prioritizing our project, prioritizing our what we really want to do. And the second thing is getting the data out of our systems and looking at what systems and where that data lies for a lot of the different things that we want to do. That's a lot of the work that we have to do right now to build that infrastructure so that we can then do AI and machine learning appropriately. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just in case people listening, LIS is a lab informatics system, correct? So yeah, lab information system, yeah. What you're saying is that basically these things were designed at a time and no one was thinking about someone wanting to get yeah. all the data out and doing all this cool stuff with it. So yeah. so we you know, there's lots of just very blocking and tackling type things. And to your right. question, then what do we work on first? And those go hand in hand because we have to design the systems to feed the questions that we want to answer. We have to do kind of both right. at the same time. So There'll be a lot of work to be done to achieve that that promise, but sometimes we can be overwhelmed by the possible, but uh, that's yeah. <laughs> uh, great to have you here. So look, uh, this is great. I'd love for you to be able to come back with sometime Dr. Pritz here too, and we can maybe bring Jason okay. to talk about the things that we are doing. And I know there's a lot going on already with this. Just in closing though, I mean, you feel very hopeful that this is really like in five years, we're going to be able to get to a state where this is really going to be making a difference in how we do our daily work. I think so. I think I think at this point, a lot of places are beginning to, to buy into this. There's a lot of movement with the larger companies, the larger EHR systems who are, are realizing they have to accommodate and figure out ways of getting the data out and to allow groups to develop their own algorithms to use them with, within these systems. So we're seeing a lot more efforts by these bigger companies to develop a better platform, right? And in fact, obviously, I know um, with uh, Mayo, we're obviously interested in this as, as, as well. So as we begin to look at how do we develop platforms and how do we develop these systems that allow us to do this kind of work, we're going to see a lot of movement in this space as people realize the tremendous value that um, AI machine learning can bring to their practices. Yeah, that's great. And I think going full circle, it'll require not just people saying, it's Dr. McClintock's job to think about this, but we all have to think about this together, going all the way back to specimen collection, because the more complexity we have, the different tube types, all that has to feed in. So you start thinking about yes. how do you continue to simplify with a future state of being able to do as much as possible with the information. So it's really exciting times, so big changes, but really exciting. So it's great to hear it straight from the expert about where you see, see us headed and uh, Really just want to thank you for taking a little time today. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to have you come back in the future and fill us in on what's happening. Well, great. Well, thank you very much, too. It was great to be on it. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday. <laughs>